Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to Firefox News Online. And, as always, we are having some technical difficulties with our system. I don't know why. And here we go with the echoing. Why is that? Why does that have to happen every freaking time I go on the air? Unbelievable. Well, let's see if we can't... Uh, get this party started proper like. Uh, bear with me. Just a second. All right. Yonder comes the opening. It should start soon. Welcome to Firefox News Online, America's number one internet radio and internet video broadcast. The rules are very simple. No personal attacks, threats, or hate speech will be tolerated at any time. If you commit to these acts, you will be removed from the chat room. And if we're using a phone line, the same rules apply. Also, bear in mind that this is a roundtable discussion format. So please, no cross-talking during the broadcast. And finally... The views and opinions that will be expressed in this broadcast are that of the host and those who call in and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of anyone else or this broadcasting service. The use of media materials is protected by the Fair Use Clause of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, which allows for the rebroadcast of copyrighted materials for the purposes of commentary, criticism, and education. Firefox News Online Productions and its news division adhere to the criteria of the Fair Use Clause 100% across the board. And now, on with tonight's broadcast.
pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Bear with me, folks. The folder that has my talking points pre-recorded, for some reason, don't want to open. All right. Just a minor glitch. All right. Here we go. And now, America, it is time for Talking Points. The views and opinions expressed in Talking Points are that of the host and the host alone, and do not reflect the views and opinions of anyone else for this broadcasting service. The World Health Organization. There are many who believe it to be, well, quite frankly, the biggest scam artists on the planet, and I'm inclined to agree. The World Health Organization and the coronavirus pandemic. What they say and what we know tonight on my talking points. Somehow I get the feeling that when you talk about the World Health Organization, the first thing you think of is, well, here's a bunch of people that have their fingers on the pulse of the world. Well, not entirely accurate. The World Health Organization is but a small microcosm of propaganda and half-truths. Now, what does that mean to you and I? It means that they can't be trusted. There are many who are calling for the World Health Organization to be chastised, to put it mildly, And when you think about just how very dangerous their information tends to be, let's look at the reality here, okay? You've got United States senators that literally are calling for uh, something to be done about them. President Trump has even gone so far as to say that the U.S. may put a very powerful hold on funding to the World Health Organization. Now, why is that? Because if the World Health Organization were of any help to the people suffering from coronavirus worldwide, then I could understand maybe sending them the necessary funding, you know, at least in part from the United States and other countries. But you know what? They're not being much help at all. In fact, you go so far into their history and and you see they've oftentimes were led politically by the nose, Okay. So now you're looking at an organization that, by and large, 
probably shouldn't even exist at all because they're useless. Uh, trust me, they're useless. They're about as useful as a rubber crutch. All right? They are. They're about as useful as a rubber crutch. So I got to thinking, okay, the World Health Organization is offering some of the information that we've heard from the coronavirus task force coming out of the White House. And I don't know. They seem to enjoy spreading propaganda that's coming out of China. Maybe it's just me, but why would they do that? Why would they do that? Honestly, I think they're insane for doing it, but hey, you know, I'm just one person. So you've got the President of the United States calling for their uh, funding to be denied. And then, of course, Senator Lindsey Graham is saying no more money to the World Health Organization, calling them Chinese apologists. Hmm. Yeah, think there's something to that, folks. It's a very distinct and real possibility. Um, I wouldn't dismiss it. No. I think Senator Graham may be on to something because, like I just said, Chinese propaganda, you do the math. So should the World Health Organization lose funding from the United States? I believe so. I firmly believe that funding an organization that is nothing but a propagandist tool an apologist tool for the Chinese government, in all fairness, is something that needs to be looked at. Now, having said that, hashtag FFNOP, hashtag FFNOP, trend tonight's broadcast globally on social media right now. And with that having been said, it is now time, as always, for the rest of the story. All right. Let's see what we got going on here, people. I've got I got Billy in the chat room. How you doing, Bill? So So President Trump is saying And uh, I can't say as I blame him to put a very powerful hold on funding to the World Health Organization. President Trump signaled Tuesday he may put a very powerful hold on funding to the World Health Organization as he lashed out at the United Nations specialized agency and accused it of being very China-centric amid the coronavirus pandemic. Now, 
Reiterating his complaints from a tweet earlier in the day, the president said that the WHO has been wrong about a lot of things. Trump has been critical of the World Health Organization for opposing the travel restrictions from China and Europe. They've been wrong about a lot of things, Trump said during the daily press briefing of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. They seem very China-centric. He added, we're going to put a hold on the money sent to the World Health Organization. Trump, however, backtracked when questioned on that statement by members of the media, saying he was going to look into it, cutting off funding to the World Health Organization and denying his earlier statement. The World Health Organization praised China for its transparency on the virus, even though there is reason to believe that more people died of COVID-19 than the country's official tally. I've been saying that for a while now. The World Health Organization has increasingly been the focus of questions about its response to the coronavirus pandemic, including information it tweeted in January that quoted preliminary findings from Chinese authorities that downplayed the seriousness of the virus that has since turned into a pandemic, shutting down daily life around the globe. The United States is the single largest contributor to the World Health Organization. The most recent invoice from the World Health Organization to the United States which is one of many countries that fund the organization, was for nearly $116 million per year. Excuse me. The United States also voluntarily gives between approximately $100 million and $400 million more per year to the World Health Organization for specific projects, contributions that totaled over $400 million in 2017, the most recent year for which figures are available. That means the United States contributed over $500 million in total to the World Health Organization that year, which is just under one quarter of the organization's yearly budget. The World Health Organization's total budget for 2016 and 2017 combined was over $4 billion. World Health Organization receives vast amounts of money from, as Trump added, the president's main gripe with the World Health Organization, saying in late January that travel bans to affected areas or denial of entry to passengers coming from affected areas are usually not effective in preventing the importation of coronavirus cases and instead could have a significant economic and social impact. So how does the World Health Organization, seriously, how, how, what do they do over there? Aside from, being, you know, the apologists for the Chinese government, as uh, Senator Lindsey Graham pointed out, and and how do they, how is it that they can be the propaganda tool for China? 
How'd that happen? You know? Uh, it's insane. It is truly insane. Well, folks, if you want to join in tonight to discuss this matter, I invite you to do so by dialing 347-945-5747. The number is 347-945-5747. And let's get this discussion going tonight. Let's see what we can put our heads together on. Now, Billy who's in the chat room, uh, said, told you guys last month they were not a good source to trust. I got that even before you said anything, but when you said that at the time, kind of reinforced what I kind of had an inkling of. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. So, go figure, you know. 347-945-5747. So, if, if President Trump is able to uh, withhold the funding to the World Health Organization... I wonder, wonder what the Democrats will do with that if they haven't started already. It seems that from the very first case of coronavirus, the Democrats have, have long believed that President Trump did not handle this situation fast enough. We all know that's a bunch of crap. We all know that's yeah, that's total bullshit. But you see, try and explain that to them. And you may as well have, uh, you know, you may as well have a bullhorn because they'll turn a deaf ear to everything you have to say, especially if you disagree with them. But I can't help but wonder is the World Health Organization going to, in some way, no, though not directly, uh, let me point that out, uh, I wonder if they're going to be used as a propaganda tool for the antagonistic left. does make one wonder, doesn't it? It does make one wonder. Because what do we see when we look at the media? If you, if you were to tune into CNN or MSNBC, they bash the president with anything they can get their hands on. I'm surprised that when Eric Swalwell farted during an interview with then-host of Hardball, Chris Matthews, the Democrats didn't blame Trump for Swalwell farting. You know? Would have been kind of hard to prove that, but (laughs) what can I say? 
you know? But it has its drawbacks. It really does. 347-945-5747. If at midnight uh, no calls come through, the show will end at 12 midnight Eastern time. And I'd rather not do that, but, you know, it is what it is. So, my best guess is that somewhere along the line, the World Health Organization needs to... uh, needs to be called up on the carpet and justifiably so they are facing a lot of criticism for their handling of the coronavirus situation so at what point what point does it start making somewhat of some, some kind of sense. Well, I'll tell you what. According to One American News Network, there's a new COVID-19 vaccine that's undergoing clinical trials. Now to get away from the World Health Organization. Um, now get a load of this. A pharmaceutical company in Pennsylvania is launching a clinical trial of a potential vaccine for COVID-19. Inovo, Inovio, I'm not sure quite how it's pronounced, uh, they announced the FDA's approval of the test Monday and began administering the vaccine to volunteers by shot quickly thereafter. Uh, its study will involve 40 volunteers from Philadelphia and Kansas City. Each volunteer will receive two doses of the vaccine four weeks apart. Researchers expect to receive data from those tests sometime near the end of summer. Dr. Joseph Kim, the company's CEO, has emphasized he emphasizes their intention to move through this process swiftly. Now, Dr. Kim plans to have one million doses available by the end of the year. When the new outbreak occurred, we applied our very innovative 21st century platform called DNA Medicines Platform to COVID-19. By getting just the DNA sequence of the virus, we were able to fully construct our vaccine within three hours. This is what Dr. Kim explains. Now, Inovios, I think that's how it's pronounced. Don't hold me to it. Vaccine trial is the second one underway so far. The first began safety tests on 45 people last month in Seattle and is still awaiting results. The clinical trials are a first step of a lengthy process 
to determine if the vaccine is safe enough for a larger group. Even if the research goes well, however, experts have said it could be over a year until it is widely available. There is some promise in this. I like the sound of this. Now bear with me, I'm just uh, making a quick response to uh, a loyal viewer on one of the video platforms. And it would be nice if I could get my fingers to cooperate here. <laughs> there we go. When you're uh, the own, when you're trying to do two things at once, you know that old saying. Uh, when you try to do two things at once, uh, you got to be. Um, you're trying to multitask, you know, and. Um, well, I like to multitask, but sometimes my fingers don't like to do it. They don't like to multitask. What can I say? It's just one of those things, you know? 347-945-5747. If no phone calls are received by 12 midnight tonight, it, reluctantly I may have to close the show ahead of time. I'd really rather not have to do that. I truly wish I didn't have to do that if it becomes necessary. So what I'm kind of leaning toward uh, with this story is a lot of hope. Uh, even the University of Pittsburgh uh, is developing a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and, that, and by the way, that came out four days ago. So it's kind of a related story because what's happening is now uh, drug manufacturers and so forth they're coming to the they're coming to 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 the table they're stepping up they're letting people know hey we're working on this now back on April third when this story came out with One American News at the time. Researchers from the University of Pittsburgh say they have developed a possible coronavirus vaccine. On Thursday, the medical center announced they have successfully tested the antibodies on mice and are now looking to conduct human trials over the next few months after getting approval from the Food and Drug Administration. Now, rather than a needle, the vaccine is injected through the skin with a small patch that contains hundreds of microneedles. 
The skin is really the first line of defense for bacteria and viruses, and because of that, it has evolved a very efficient immune response, explained Dr. Lewis Fallow, University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. And so the skin has specialized immune cells that has developed just to make these kind of responses. Pittsburgh Medical Center said they were able to develop the vaccine so quickly because they had done similar tests on SARS and MERS, which showed that spiked proteins boosted immunity against the virus. So there is a lot of hope here in in, in this. There's a lot of hope here, and, and I got to say, you know, the 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 response by by university medical schools, uh, some of the drug manufacturers. Now I know that big pharma is a pain. I know that big pharma is in is out for itself, but I have to say that the possibility, okay, the possibility of Big Pharma stepping up to say, hey, we got, we, we, we're going to develop a vaccine. We're going to do this. But you know what? I have to believe that they can come up with a, vac- come up with a, a viable vaccine a lot faster than a year's time. Something inside me, my gut feeling is that that's what I suspect to be the case. Now, having said that, however, having said that, however, let me point out, I'm not a doctor. I could probably play one on TV or in a movie, but I'm not a medical doctor. True, my grandmother was a nurse. Does that make me qualified? Hell no. My mother, raising four children, after her first two, I think I think she said at the time, she started stocking up on all kinds of medical medical books and stuff, you know, that dealt with, of course, children. So that doesn't make me an expert either. But my gut feeling is there's there's a chance. There is a chance that we could see a possible viable vaccine by summer if we're very fortunate. And if that's the case, to paraphrase a song, shoot me up, Doc. I'm ready to be vaccinated. I'm trading the coronavirus and send it packing or something like that. You know, it's a... I'm not a lyricist. I don't have that kind of skill. <laughs> Although I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I do. I just haven't tried. You know. So, where do we stand? Where do we stand at this point with vaccines? I'd say that with the University of Pittsburgh and uh, this 
Innovio, or whatever it's called, a pharmaceutical company, doing what they can do. I'm sure there are other medical schools working on possible vaccines that we're not hearing about yet. And I'll tell you what, I would love to see, to see how far along uh, the University of Pittsburgh gets with theirs, uh, and, of course, the race is on. Uh, and this is not a this is a race to save as many lives as possible. We need those vaccines to be effective and viable, and we need those vaccines to come out as soon as possible, as soon as humanly possible. So where where does it all take us to? Right now it takes us in a holding pattern, so to speak. It puts us in a situation that hopefully we'll be able to... Uh, we'll see a vaccine. So, if the vaccine should happen soon, if a vaccine can be produced, the question then becomes, How fast can they mass produce the vaccine? And how fast can they get it to the American people? Well, the question. Oh, flip the switch on my microphone, on my handheld. I had to step away from the uh, studio for just a second. Trying to uh, fix something here in the studio. <laughs> well, I'm not away from the studio, but I'm trying to fix something in the studio while I'm talking. So uh, for anyone that's calling in, just give me a moment. All right. So sorry about that. It was the microphone the handheld, had to try and fix it. There. I think I got it. hope it's working. But I like to try and move around a little bit, you know, attempt to move around anyway. Attempt to do the impossible. All right. Three four seven nine four five five seven four seven.
roughly in about 22 minutes. I will call the show if I can't get anybody to join me tonight, which is kind of sad, really. Hopefully, we get there. Now, I, I got to say, Howard Dean is probably the biggest bozo on the planet. Seriously, the guy's got about as much brain matter as a flea, but maybe he's learning a little bit, or maybe not, because apparently Howard Dean is saying that he's going to boycott MSNBC appearances until the network stops airing President Trump's pressers. Um, One American News... Fox News carry the full thing. Okay? When it comes to the president's uh, daily briefings, MSNBC and CNN cut away from him to attack him. Now, here's what gets me. The local networks... CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, and uh, the CW will air Governor Cuomo's, but they won't air the daily briefings of the president. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm getting sick and tired of hearing from Governor Dumbass. If you're going to air his all the time, well, you know what? You need to do the same for the President of the United States. It's real simple. But then again... What are you going to do? 347-945-5747, 19 minutes away from early shutdown. Unless uh, someone joins me beforehand, that's what's going to be, that's the plan. Because while I got a big enough mouth, I could sit here and talk for you know for hours if I wanted to. But the whole point of this broadcast is a uh, 
The whole point of the broadcast is a news and topic discussion broadcast. We're not a music station. We don't play music all the, for, for, for half an hour to, to an hour and waste everybody's time with that. And I wouldn't because this isn't a music station. This is a news and topic broadcast. That's why this broadcast is still number rated number one globally. And people think I'm kidding when I say that. I get letters from by email from people around the world. When you get emails from people around the world, from the UK, from Australia, when you get people that write in from around the country. You got people in Germany writing to you. Got to say something for the broadcast. Got to say something. And, uh, hey, I stand by my, by my statement. And I always will. Oh, let's see. So, yeah, like I was saying, Howard Dean uh, apparently is going to boycott MSNBC appearances uh, unless they stop showing the press briefings by President Trump and the Coronavirus Task Force. In a tweet... At around 1.43 p.m. Eastern Time this afternoon, the former governor said, I just told MSNBC I wasn't going on their shows as long as they were broadcasting Trump's press conference. I won't make much difference if it's just me, but if 50 of you did it, it would make a difference. Howard, who cares? The ratings suck. They're because of their stupidity. Chris Matthews gone, baby, just gone. The next one I want to see disappear. Actually, the next two I want to see disappear are Lion Brian Williams. And Rachel Mad Cow Maddow. Okay? Those two need to be cut loose. What, what, what MSNBC and CNN both need to do is they need to, uh, how can I put this? They need to sit back, shut the fuck up, and wake up because what they're doing is destroying their ratings and they don't seem to care. You know, CNN started in June of 1980. CNN used to be damn good. Then MSNBC and Fox came along and it became a ratings war. But when President Trump was inaugurated, the floodgates of stupid opened up wide. So it stands to reason. It stands to reason that... When you attack somebody, 
broadcast their the the a a party's propaganda bullshit. You know, how can I put this? Russian collusion, the Mueller report, which they were banking on destroying him, and it didn't. They were hoping that he would they would he would find collusion, but he found none. It basically, it basically, the Mueller report did exonerate him. Then there was the Ukraine stuff. Ukrainian collusion didn't do much good there. Then, of course, we were dragged through impeachment hearings all up and down the board. Then the Senate trial acquitted in the Senate. And yet the Democrats still are on the attack, as are their propaganda networks, CNN and MSNBC. So Howard Dean not going on MSNBC is not, is not a total loss at all. And in fact, I'm glad he's not going to be on MSNBC. You know why? Because I don't want to hear his big lion mouth. He's a dingbat, a jackass, a, a low-life cretin that doesn't deserve airtime. Why anybody voted for him to be the governor of the state he represented, I don't even know what state that is, and I don't care. Bottom line, it is what the fuck it is. It's Democrats being dumbasses. By the way, folks, I may not have said this in a long time and probably needs to be said, but if you're a registered Democrat, register with the Republicans, not with the Independence Party, because the Independence Party pretty much was hijacked by the Democrats. I'm an independent, but I'm a conservative, and I vote Republican. That's right. I vote Republican. Even though I'm not a registered Republican, I still vote Republican across the board. You know why? Because if I the day I vote Democrat is the day somebody better cut my freaking hands off my off my off at the wrist. Just chop them right off. Because there ain't no way in hell I would ever be a registered Democrat or vote for Democrats. You know? Now, I don't know. Maybe it's just my imagination. Hey, Bill, I thought you were going to call in. Went to get some juice 22 minutes ago, and I haven't seen you since. Well, I see you in the chat room. <laughs> it's like, um, in just about nine minutes, I'm going to close up shop. I don't want to. I'd like to keep going. But, you know... 
several media personalities over at MSNBC voiced similar statements. Now, back in March, MSNBC's uh, host, Rachel Madcow, Maddow, sounded the alarm of what she suggested was the potential danger of the president addressing the nation. I got news for you, dear lady. Listening to Barack Obama tell lie after lie and drag this country down to it practically to its knees and apologizing for our involvement in World War II was the last straw, by the way. Your credibility, well, you have none. So please, feel free to keep embarrassing yourself. Now, of course, last week, see the Confused News Network's public idiot, or village idiot in this case, Don Lemon, urged his own network not to cover the briefings live. A lemonhead. Grow a brain cell. Any news organization. Now, this one here, uh, I'm not able to to do the broadcasts of his uh, briefings the way I would like to. And it's not because I don't want to. It's not, it's not because I can't. Unfortunately, uh, their timing is sporadic. So it's hard to know when they're actually going to do it or not. I really should contact the White House by email and ask them to uh, send me an email as to when the the uh, coronavirus task force will be having its briefing. At, so this way I can, you know, be a little more prepared. And if it's a set time every day, it would it would be great. But sometimes they just can't do that. When have you ever known a press briefing at the White House to actually start on time? Since the days of Richard Nixon, not one press briefing has ever gone off without a hitch and start on time. At least not that I can recall. But, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me. But I get the distinct impression it's going to be one of those one of those years. I mean, <clears throat> with the coronavirus pandemic, as we're all very well aware, many of the uh, the rallies have stopped. Um, the Democratic Party may as well just admit that they've already picked Joe Biden to be their nominee. Okay, because honestly, they're doing it to Joe. They're doing it to uh, Bernie Sanders again, as we, as I pointed out on this show a few times. Um, I don't know. There's just there's only so much that you can you know you, you can really pinpoint at this juncture. 
In less than five minutes, I may have to close the show early due to le- due to no phone calls. Um, again, not that I can't talk for another hour or two. Um, it would be kind of nice to be able to have a discussion about about these things and, and even other news topics as well. Speaking of other news topics uh, related to the coronavirus, I might add, unfortunately, John... Prine, I think that's how it's, his last name is pronounced. A, he's a he was a musician. Died at the age of seventy three from complications from coronavirus. John Prine, one of the most powerful, one of excuse me, one of the most influential artists in folk and country music, died at the age of seventy three following a battle with coronavirus. His family told the Associated Press and other outlets. His family announced his death from complications from the coronavirus. He died at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, where he had been hospitalized last month. On March 29th, Prine's family shared the star was critically ill and had been placed on a ventilator while being treated for COVID-19 type symptoms. A message posted on Prine's Twitter page said, The angel from Montgomery singer has been hospitalized since March 26th, and his condition worsened on March 28th. This is hard news for us to share, Prine's family said at the time, but so many of you have loved and supported John over the years, we wanted to let you know and give you the chance to send more than more of that love and support now and know that we love you and that John loves and that John loves you his wife and manager Fiona Whalen Prine said earlier in March <clears throat> excuse me that she had tested positive for coronavirus for the coronavirus she said the couple was quarantined and isolated from each other prine had previously fought cancer twice most recently he was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2013 and had part of a lung removed the surgeries affected his voice but prine continued to make music and to tour Before the onset of the virus, Prine had shows scheduled in May and a summer tour planned. Uh, The Illinois-born Grammy winner was a 23-year-old mailman when he was playing at the Chicago Folk Club, The Fifth Peg, when young journalist Roger Ebert stopped by for a set. Ebert went on to write a glowing reveal for the Chicago Sun-Times, which kicked off Prine's musical career. Prine was previously singing his original songs every Thursday night for about two months. The first three songs Prine ever performed on stage was Sam Stone, Hello in There, and Paradise. Prine once recalled, I sang those three songs and people just sat there and looked at me. I thought, wow, 
Those are really bad. They wouldn't even applaud. Legendary musician and actor Chris Christopherson not only became one of Prine's early fans, but the two artists developed a decades-long friendship, as well as a touring collaboration over the years. Excuse me. Now, according to Prine's official website, his songs would eventually be recorded by fellow notable figures, including Johnny Cash, who uh, sang Sam Stone, Bette Midler, Hello in There, and Bonnie Raitt, Angel from Montgomery. He's also an uncredited co-writer on You Never Even Call Me By My Name, and his songs have been cut by country stars like Zac Brown Band, Miranda Lambert, and George Strait. Prime won his first Grammy for the 1991 album titled The Missing Years. He joined the Nashville Hall of Fame in 2003. In addition, the Grammy Hall of Fame inducted his 1971 self-titled album debut in 2014. Then, two years later, he accepted the Penn New England's Song Lyrics of Literacy Excellence Award. When Prine turned 70, he was hailed as Artist of the Year by the Americana Music Association in 2017. His last album, titled The The Tree of Forgiveness, was released in 2018. I kept saying when I was doing this album... It's going to be my last one, Prine shared, as noted by his website. But if things go really good with it, I can't see why I wouldn't do something else. Prine is survived by his wife, Fiona, and their two sons, Tommy and Jack. John Prine, music legend in folk and country music, dead at the age of 73 from complications of coronavirus. Well, I was, I was going to shut down. I'll give it a little more time. So I think I'll take a break. That'll help. Why not? Eh, what the hey, you know? Uh, let me see now. That is, of course, if I can get my fingers to scroll to the right item here. Ah, there it is. Be right back. I am Vito Corleone. I am the Godfather, inviting you to join my good friend, George Sinza, for more news and topic discussion on Firefox News Online, here on blogtalkradio.com. But rather than I tell you about it, George, you tell them about it. Thank you, Vito. 
Join me as we continue with more Firefox News Online on blogtalkradio.com in just a few moments. And you can join us live on the air at 347-945-5747. Or you can contact us via Skype. Hey, listen. The Godfather will tell you. We are the best in the business. On October 6, 2012, we managed to garner over 10,000 archive and live listens combined. Now, if that's not an accomplishment, I don't know what is. So, as I pass it back to the Godfather, be sure to join us, won't you? Vito? Thank you, George. Ladies and gentlemen, George just made you an offer you cannot refuse. We'll be right back in just a few moments. Okay, kids, gather around. I know we haven't discussed this in a while, but uh, who remembers where we're all going to meet in case of an emergency? Um, I do. Grand Central Station. Times Square. No, silly. Higher ground. Where's that? The mountain, son. But we live in the city. Hmm, right. Good point. What about supplies and all that other stuff? Ah, uh, don't you even worry. Your mom has all those canned beets somewhere in the apartment. Oh, I just remembered. I also have canned cocktail onions. What about water? We have a few gallons stored in the basement. But we don't have a basement. He means the storage unit. Where's that? 32nd and 7th. Great. Sounds like we don't have a plan. What time's the game on? Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Search ReadyKids at NYC.gov or call 311. A public service announcement brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. It's important to plan ahead for emergencies, like the storm. When it kicked in, we had a plan. We were able to get in touch with each other in no time. no idea how to find each other. My husband kept the kids occupied. our son, but there was no reception. Everything was down. I felt like we handled everything very well. I had to try and stay calm. The whole experience was the most frightening 10 hours of my life. It was, it was kind, kind of like, like a little family adventure. Every hopes will never happen to her. I, I remember, remember the, the relief of being that I together. I realized he was out there all alone. If, if there's, there's one piece of advice I'd offer other moms, moms out there, there it's to stay it's calm ignore and keep to the plan. Some parents plan ahead. Some don't. Make sure you know where to find your family in an emergency. Visit nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311. Brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds. Over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. 
Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Sergeant George Senzer, honorably discharged veteran of the State Defense Force, the New York Guard. Now, I've got a few questions for you. First of all, are you at least 18 years of age or older? Second of all, are you in reasonably good health? But most important of all, are you a New York State resident looking to serve your country? If you are, then have I got a great idea for you. Join the New York Guard. The New York Guard is a State Defense Force operated and funded by the State of New York through the Division of Military and Naval Affairs. And the New York Guard has a long and illustrious history dating back as far as World War I. I served two tours of active duty with the New York Guard. On September 11, 2001, the day of the most horrendous attack on our nation since Pearl Harbor. I was proud to serve with the New York Guard. I served with them for six years, and I made a difference. You can too. Make a difference. Join the New York Guard today. Go to www.dmna.ny.gov slash nyg. That's dmna.ny.gov slash nyg. Click on the link, Enlistment Resources, download the recruitment package, fill out the application, send it back, and be sure to contact the recruiters letting them know that you have a desire to serve and that you've sent back the completed application. The New York Guard, New York State's Defense Force, protecting the residents of the state of New York and helping them through emergencies and times of natural disaster. Join the New York Guard today and make a difference. There I was in my business suit, all dressed up, just uptight as I could possibly be. And I don't remember much of what was said at that first AA meeting. It was more the feeling of the meeting itself. That's what has kept me going. I know it works, and I see the people ahead of me with more sobriety. I see how happy they are, and I want that. I want that too. And what I notice about AA is it sort of helps me to relax and learn to really be happy with my sobriety. It's a richer life to live. That's exactly what Alcoholics Anonymous does. It teaches us how to live without drinking. It teaches us how to have fun and really enjoy life without drinking. This program's given me the good life. The only good life I've ever known. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or aa.org. Attention parents of young children. The following is a partial list of things that are probably happening in your backseat that you are completely unaware of. A food item is probably being stuffed into a crack. A strange sticky substance is being spread everywhere. Deep, sustained nasal exploration. Someone is probably making faces. Hitting. Hitting back. The cleaning of muddy shoes. Farting! <laughs> Something is probably spilling. Gum is lodging in hair. And your kids are probably riding in car seats that are being used incorrectly. In fact, three out of four kids are not as safe as they should be. But the latch system is in most cars and makes it easier to get it right. 
Just attach the top tether and the lower anchors. The ones down near the old sandwich and the melted down crayons. Anchor, tether, latch. The next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Can you burp the alphabet? Do you know what a noogie is? Have you ever talked to an imaginary friend, started a pillow fight, or even given someone a wedgie? <laughs> if you answered yes to any of these questions, then you may have what it takes to become a big brother or big sister. Because if you think being a big brother or sister means you have to act like a saint, uh, think again. To learn how volunteering just a few hours a week can make a difference in the life of a child, call 1-888-412-BIGS. That's 1-888-412-BIGS. Or visit them at www.bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by your friends at Big Brothers Big Sisters, the Ad Council, and of course your friends here at Firefox News Online who remind you the children are our future. Let's work with them together, you and I. down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, look way down the river, and what do you think I see? I see a band of angels, and they're coming after me. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, look down yonder, Gabriel. Put your feet on the land and see. But Gabriel, don't you blow your trumpet. Until you hear from me, there ain't no grave can hold my body down. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Maybe in the middle of the air And if these wings don't fail me I will meet you anywhere Ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, meet me, mother and father Lead me down the river road. And mama, you know that I'll be there when I check in my load. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There 
There ain't no graves can hold my body down. Are you ready? Are you For the thousands in attendance and the millions around the world, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! You're listening to the most powerful radio broadcast anywhere, Firefox News Online. The FFNOP Radio Network, 347-945-5747. We're back. Lines are open. Broadcasting from New York, the Empire State, you're listening to Firefox News Online. And we're back here at Firefox News Online. Tentatively, we have an hour and 43 minutes remaining in the broadcast, an hour and 43 minutes left to go. And, of course, that is, of course, tentative at the present time. Now, there are some who can't see me. Usually helps if you, I didn't even know I was not on camera. Oh, that's not fair. We can fix that, though. I need a cup of coffee. My throat is dry. You ever you ever get that that feeling you know that that feeling in your throat when you you got a dry dry throat feels like the Sahara Desert's in there you know <laughs> that's kind of the way it feels right now but it could be worse so. If you're, uh, if you really, if you do like what we what we have here on Firefox News Online, if you like what we offer, uh, the op-eds, the nightly broadcasts, the whole nine yards, then let us know. Share some love to help keep this broadcast on the air. Firefox News Online asks you to donate what you can. All donations are not tax deductible. I'm not set up for that. I wish I were, but I'm not, sadly. But here's the deal. You can send your donations to us to help us keep alive and well by going to paypal.me slash Firefox News Online. That's paypal.me slash Firefox News Online. All donations are put right into the broadcast. To keep her up and running and going strong. 
Yeah. There are times, like tonight, when I feel like, well, maybe I should just end early and uh, go to bed early. Yeah, I could do that. But then I got to thinking, why? I can talk for a long time. Gets a little dull after a while. You know, you got no one else to talk to. So, and that's a, it's a rarity when that happens. Of course, a lot of my regulars aren't here tonight. And they're no, and I don't even consider them my regulars anymore. So I need some new regulars, people that are going to treat the show with respect, decency, and so forth. So how about it? Got some thoughts on the coronavirus pandemic? You have thoughts on how the the government's responding to it? I'd like to send a shout out to the doctors and nurses, National Guard soldiers, and all for all of the first responders that are out there that are doing exactly what needs to be done. Call 347-945-5747. And you can do that live on the air. 347-945-5747. All right. Now if I can just get my... Come on, fingers, come on, fingers, work with me. Don't do this to me now. I'm tight, nice, you know. You know what? I'm going to throw this clip up. By the way, I know I said we're not a music station, but, well, I wanted to do some, throw something out a little earlier. You might have heard it. Um it's a song that was originally done by Johnny Cash, and uh, I recorded it recently. Um, it's called Ain't No Grave. Um, could never figure out why he wrote this song or why he put the song out there at the time. Maybe one day I will. But that's a, that's a thought for another day. So, as soon as the clip computer opens it up, there we go. You know, I really do hate advertisements. And some of these uh, news sites tend to be a pain in the neck when it comes to that sort of stuff. So those are some of the numbers as of tonight. The question is, what happens next? Okay, I'm going to start that clip back up. 
I didn't expect it to start so quick. Usually I have to sit here and wait. But here's Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson was saying tonight, experts can't predict when coronavirus pandemic will end. And I agree with him. I truly do agree with him. Take a listen. Those are the numbers as of tonight. The question is, what happens next? Well, yesterday, a piece of the New York Times asked that, asked what appeared to be a pretty straightforward question. When will New York City reach the peak of its outbreak? New York City, of course, being the place with the most cases in this country. And you'd think that epidemiologists could answer that question with some precision, but as it turns out, no, they can't. Governor Andrew Cuomo predicted the peak will come this week. The head of New York Presbyterian Hospital predicted April 15th. The state's health commissioner, meanwhile, thought late April or maybe early May. The predictions differed by up to a full month. At a time when New York is quarantined and people are still dying, that is a very big range of answers. Howard Markle, a physician and professor at the University of Michigan, summed up the current state of knowledge this way, quote, in reality, we don't know. No, we don't know. In fact, a close look at the data suggests the peak of the epidemic in New York may have already passed five days ago. On April 2nd, 1,427 people were hospitalized for coronavirus in New York, the highest number so far recorded. The next day, that total dropped to 1,095, and then on Sunday, it fell to only 358. In the last two days, new hospitalizations have ticked up once again, but they're still far below last Thursday's peak. If this trend holds, we don't know that it will, but if it does, the worst may already be over for New York. All of this has come as a surprise to our public health authorities and a welcome surprise to those of us watching. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, the IHME, is a well-regarded research center run from the University of Washington. The IHME has produced details predictions charting the expected course of this epidemic here in the United States as well as in other countries. Their model has done perhaps more than any other piece of academic research to shape our response to the coronavirus crisis. So how accurate has that model been? Here are some numbers. Initially, the IHME predicted that on April 4th, the state of New York would require 65,000 hospital beds to handle infected patients. The low-end estimate of what the state would need was nearly 48,000 beds. In fact, on April 4th, New York had fewer than 16,000 hospitalizations for coronavirus, and many other states fell far below the model's projections as well, many states. Over the weekend, the IHME updated its model. Its projections across the country have been scaled back dramatically and yet they are still significantly overstated. For example, today, which is April 7th, the updated IHME model predicts that New York will need 25,000 hospital beds. As of this morning, the real number was just under 17,500. The new model also predicted that as of today, almost 6,600 people would be in intensive care, and the actual number is just under 4,600. In Florida, the new model predicted 4,000 people would be hospitalized. The reality in Florida tonight is that not even 2,000 are. And it wasn't just Florida and New York. The IHME got it wrong in state after state after state. By the way, for America, this is great news, and we should celebrate it. It's much better than we thought. Though, unfortunately, on the question of total deaths, the model has been more accurate, though it still tends to overshoot. For example, yesterday, the IHME predicted 784 deaths for New York. The state finished the day with about 600. For the entire country, the model predicts about 2,000 deaths today. And sadly, it seems like we'll finish somewhere around that number. But that may not be the whole story. There is nuance within those numbers, as there always is in social science. For many years, the CDC has tracked the total number of Americans who die every week from pneumonia. For the last few weeks, that number has come in far lower than at the same moment in previous years. How could that be? 
Well, it seems entirely possible that doctors are classifying conventional pneumonia deaths as COVID-19 deaths. That would mean this epidemic is being credited for thousands of deaths that would have occurred if the virus never appeared here. We don't know that for certain, but it's certainly worth considering. Something is skewing those numbers. Nor do we know exactly why the model predicted so many more hospitalizations than we have actually had. Now, you will hear people say, you're hearing them say now, that this is evidence that the shutdowns and social distancing must be working, but not so fast. Those measures were built into the model in the first place. They've already been taken into account, and we are still doing far better than what epidemiologists believe was the best case scenario. So the question is, and it's a central question as we move forward, how did this happen? Well, it's possible the virus is just less deadly than we feared it was, or it's less likely to send people to the hospital. Maybe it spreads less easily than we thought it did. Maybe it spreads more easily than we thought it did, and the number of asymptomatic carriers is higher than we knew. All of those are reasonable theories. We have no idea which one could be true. It, then there's this. In a new draft paper, MIT economist Jeffrey Harris suggests that Americans are following social distancing guidelines more effectively than authorities ever imagined they would. And that's another potential explanation. Whatever's happening, this epidemic appears to be doing less damage than anticipated, and it's receding more quickly. Not so long ago, some of our leaders seemed on the verge of panic. On March 24th, for example, Governor Cuomo of New York descended into a state of frenzy during his daily press conference. Cuomo dismissed the federal assistance New York had received as grossly inefficient. Tens of thousands of innocent New Yorkers were going to die, he said. They will choke to death while doctors do nothing to help them. Watch. FEMA says we're sending 400 ventilators. Really? What am I going to, what am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. You pick the people who are going to die? It was effective theater, but it was awful. What a horrifying thought that was. As recently as last Friday, April 3rd, Governor Cuomo was threatening to use the National Guard to seize ventilators from facilities upstate. That's how badly New York needed them, except it didn't need them. As it turned out, New York has many more beds and ventilators than it needs. Equipment, that's the protective equipment, uh, ventilators where uh, we, are, we are stretching and moving, but uh, every hospital has what they need to date. So miscalculations like the ones you just saw played out across the country in state after state. On March 14th, for example, the governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, warned that her state's 688 ventilators wouldn't be nearly enough to handle the coming surge of coronavirus cases. It turns out she got it backward. Oregon had more ventilators than it needed. So on April 4th, Governor Brown shipped 150 of the machines to New York, which based on current trends may not need them either. Now, once again, we ought to celebrate all of this. Fewer hospitalizations are a godsend for this country. And as awful as this epidemic has been and will be, at least so far, it hasn't been the disaster that we feared. Our healthcare system hasn't collapsed. That was the key concern. Except in a handful of places, really it hasn't come very close. Patients are not dying alone in the hallways of emergency rooms with physicians too overwhelmed to treat them. That was the concern. It happens in other countries. It's not happening here. Thank God for that. All of this means that the short-term crisis, the ones that we worried about so fervently, in which pressure on hospitals grew so exponentially, day by day, with no end in sight, that short-term crisis may have passed. We'll see, but it looks like it may have. Now it's time to look ahead. 
If the virus is doing less systemic damage to our system than expected, then presumably we can begin to consider how to improve the lives of the rest, the countless Americans who've been grievously hurt by this, by our response to this. How do we get 17 million of our most vulnerable citizens back to work? That's our task. Other countries are already hard at work doing it. Adjusted for population, Denmark's coronavirus outbreak has been almost precisely as severe as ours has been here in the U.S. In Denmark, schools and daycare centers are scheduled to open next week. The government plans to roll back more restrictions on May 10th. The outbreak in Austria has also been similar in scope to America per capita. There, the government plans to let small stores reopen April 14th, followed by large stores on May 1st, and then potentially restaurants and schools in the middle of May. So that's what they're doing. We're not doing that here. We're not even talking about doing it because we're not allowed to. Any discussion of how we might transition out of the shutdown back into normal life for some reason has become taboo in this country. Go ahead and raise the question. You'll find yourself denounced as a tool of Wall Street who doesn't care about human life, often denounced by pro-choice activists who are happy to accept cash from corporate America. But the layers of irony are, of course, bottomless. But we shouldn't be surprised by any of this. This is what happens when public debate, healthy public debate, is replaced by memes and mindless partisans on social media define the terms of allowable conversation, as they have. And so we plod forward as if the flawed models weren't flawed at all, as if the reality of what is actually happening in our hospitals should play no role at all in the decisions we make going forward. Dr. Anthony Fauci has announced, for example, that Americans must brace for 18 months of shutdowns at the absolute minimum. And if a vaccine isn't found, it could go on forever. If back to normal means acting like there never was a coronavirus problem, I don't think that's going to happen until we do have a situation where you can completely protect the population. If you want to get to pre-coronavirus, you know, that might not ever happen in the sense of the, the fact that the threat is there. So life may never return to normal in this country. We may never regain what we've lost. You're hearing a lot of people say that all of a sudden. It's becoming a species of conventional wisdom. On MSNBC last night, where conventional wisdom often is born, UPenn professor Zeke Emanuel explained that America may be shuttered for 18 months at least. Realistically, COVID-19 will be here for the next 18 months or more. We will not be able to return to normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective medications. I know that's dreadful news to hear. How are people supposed to find work if this goes on in some form for a year and a half? Is all that economic pain worth trying to stop COVID-19? The truth is we have no choice. If we prematurely end that physical distancing and the other measures, keeping it at bay, deaths could skyrocket into the hundreds of thousands, if not a million. We cannot return to normal until there's a vaccine. Conferences, concerts, sporting events, religious services, dinner in a restaurant, none of that will resume until we find a vaccine, a treatment, or a cure. You can't go to church until we have a vaccine. The truth is we have no choice heard that before? That's a familiar phrase in Washington. It ought to make you nervous. Do what I say, follow my orders without question or complaint, or a million people will die. The oceans will rise. The polar bears will perish. The human race itself will go extinct. Okay, maybe. These are smart people. We should hear them out. But these are also big decisions, history-changing decisions with consequences. We can't even begin to anticipate this far out. Before we go ahead and alter our lives and our country forever, 
It is fair to ask about the numbers, their numbers, the ones we acted on the first time that turned out to be completely wrong. How'd they screw that up so thoroughly? That is a fair question. If they can answer that question, answer it slowly, rationally, in a way that makes sense and suggests a deeper humility going forward as they make more decisions, then that's adequate, that's enough. They're allowed to make more public policy decisions. But if they can't answer that question, if they dissemble or dodge or attack the people who ask it, then you know they are disqualified forever from influencing our lives. Let's see if they can do it, they should. Okay, now, here's some thoughts on, on this uh, from my end. Okay, simply put, <clears throat> you know, these so-called experts, you know, the, well, the experts can't predict when coronavirus is going <coughs> to, excuse me, <coughs> going to end. And I don't think there's any reasonable human being in the medical profession, in the scientific community that does um, medical science, that can predict with any accuracy or any certainty when this is going to end, because um, just like predicting the weather, it's not—it's—it's it's not an exact science in making that kind of bold statement. Well, coronavirus will come to an end on July first. We will not see another case of coronavirus come July first. Nobody's going to be able to do that. Nobody can actually do that. They can't make that kind of a bold prediction. And, 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 and try as they might, they can't. I'll tell you what. President Trump vows to rebuild the U.S. economy after the coronavirus pandemic. Here's what he had to say. Hi, I'm Dana Perino with Juan Williams. Well, this is a clip from The Five on Fox News Channel. Greg Gutfeld and Dagan McDowell. We're working on getting Jesse. We're going to get him. This is the five. At any moment, the White House Coronavirus Task Force will begin. And here's the latest on the pandemic. The death toll rising to 12,000. And there are over 380,000 cases now confirmed in the United States. So far, this is an important number to me, 20,000 people have recovered from the virus. And there are some other positive signs. Dr. Deborah Burke says the U.S. death toll can be lower than what the models have predicted, and the stock market is starting to rebound over signs the economy could bounce back sooner. Here's President Trump on that. Democrats, because they view this as a campaign issue, they want to make Trump look as bad as they can because they want to try and win an election that they shouldn't be allowed to win 
based on the fact that we have done a great job. We built the greatest economy in the world. I'll do it a second time. The president also asking Congress for an additional $250 billion for the Small Business Loan Program. And White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow dropped this hint about reopening the economy. Watch. The president would like to reopen the economy as soon as he can. And we are planning internally. We're looking at a number as they... Most of this is health and virus-related metrics, but we also are looking at the economics of the story, how best to get us going. All right, Greg, let me go to you first, because there's, there are these little um, sort of glimmers of hope, and it's almost like looking through a stargazer, and you can see not a full light at the end of the tunnel, but there is some pinpricks of light, especially as if it's true that there's a lower death toll and a lower rate of infection than the models originally predicted. Yeah, and the, because the models didn't factor into a lot of the mitigation that we, we, did, we undertook, which is, you know, the, 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 the uh, social distancing, the, uh, the almost paranoid hygiene practices that are driving me crazy, and, um, and the drugs. And I think the drugs are showing promise, and I think the stock market's reacting to it. And you might be seeing the death, the death being a lagging indicator for this week as people aren't going into the hospital as much. I, I want to defend every single person who was wrong on this. Because I think the best analogy for dealing with this pandemic is a sports car. You have to shift gears depending on the terrain, which is the information that you get along the way. So you might have one expert, like Fauci, the top expert, who early on says, no need to change your lifestyle, go on about your life. And then a few days later, wash your hands vigorously, you know, limit your contacts. Then, days later, work at home. And then, days later, shelter in place. So it could be the very same doctor who said, look, this is not going to be a big concern to we need to shut things down. It sounds like a contradiction when, in fact, what is happening is people were shifting gears based on the information they were getting. Everybody was doing it. Everybody on every network, we love to point fingers, but we now have to decide, like, look, we got to look and see what we're doing right and stop looking in the past. I also want to bring up an interesting thing. You know, I was thinking about the reporter that asked Trump, how many deaths would you accept in order to restore the economy? And it it was a terrible question to ask because it was a gotcha question. Unless you reverse it and ask the media, do they have a number that they're okay with in order to restore the, uh, the economy? Because they do have a number. They ha- obviously have a number. It's 12,500, right? Because that was what happened, the swine flu in 2009. No one in the media made it stink. So we know they're okay with 12,500. And it had nothing to do, I'm sure, with President Obama being in charge. But I'm wondering if they're going to be authentic and be real about their number that they're okay with now that Trump is in charge. And I think we should ask everyone in the media, are they okay with the number? And to your point about getting, you know, changing the recommendations based on the information that you were getting, that's something that Jerome Adams said, the Surgeon General, in regards to masks. Yeah, he said, as we got more information about the way it's, um, it is spread, how contagious it is, et cetera, that's why they changed that guidance. That was they, we, I, that's I my only exception, Dana. Jesse? Yes? No, that was me. I was saying that's my only exception. They were, oh, super, wrong on, they were super wrong on masks. From day one, but on the mask. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but the Surgeon General is saying, well, if, well, if he, as he's 
explaining. He said they got more information, and that's how it changed. But I think that we have Jesse Waters, so we'll bring him into the conversation here. Um, Jesse, Ooh. we're just talking about uh, – hey. well, it's great to see you. There you are. Looking good. Looking good. Um, technical difficulties are part of you don't know working what went from into home. <laughs> tell us. Tell us what happened. <laughs> no, I'd rather not. <laughs> Let's just all be grateful that I'm here. <laughs> we will. Okay, we'll be back in just a minute. I want to ask Dagan about the economy because there were yes. some um, r- reports today that the Small Business Administration, they're trying to get these loans out. There's a huge amount of demand. Um, there's some kinks in the system that they're trying to work out, and already additional funds are needed because of the impact on small businesses. And then maybe uh, if you could just take a passing glance at the stock market um, with some gains, uh, maybe a little bit down today. I'm going to take Greg's lead and be super optimistic. And I'm not going to get in the weeds and bitch and moan and complain about the little things that went wrong. Because in terms of the economic and financial response from this administration, from Congress and the Federal Reserve, it has been unprecedented, like nothing we've ever seen before. It's been quick, creative, and ginormous. The Federal Reserve has come in and done things it's never done before to make sure that larger companies were liquid and remained solvent. It's going to do more for medium-sized businesses, for states and local governments. You name it, they're on it. And then in terms of this small this small business, uh, the payroll protection grants, and these are grants, $350 billion, they've rolled this thing out in less than a week, and the money is getting mm-hmm. to people. I've been on the phone talking to them. It's so successful so far that they're going to add another $250 billion to it. That's to make sure that workers get um, – don't have to go on unemployment. You have expanded unemployment benefits. You have the checks that are going out. It is astonishing what they have been able to do in terms of usually you just get protections for people who get laid off. This is different. They're sending money to businesses to ensure that the jobs are there when we get on the other side of this. It's really astonishing. Mm-hmm. One thing, Juan, too, about if you look at some of the things that happened like in the Seattle area in Washington State when they did those early measures, right, they were, the social distancing was right away. Um, they've seen their, their curve flatten as well, so that might show some hope for other places. Oh, yeah, I think it's clear that social distancing and all those things that, you know, seem so odious at times, you know, everything from taking off your washing clothes, washing hands, you know, everything, it has some impact. And we see some encouraging numbers. I mean, last two days, we saw the numbers go down in New York. Today, they're back up a little bit, Dana. But, I, you know, I just think those are encouraging signs. But I don't think that it's necessarily a reason for us to rush back in, which is what I think is the political signal that's coming from this White House, that they'd like to rush us back. Larry Kudlow saying he can see us all back to normal in four to eight weeks. I just, I mean, Larry Kudlow was a guy who said he thought this thing was contained at one point. So I don't think we're going back in four to eight weeks in part because even in New York, you have to understand that New York as an epicenter is really in some ways blessed by the fact that it has so much in terms of medical facilities, Ivy League teaching hospitals and the like. It has so much of the uh, equipment that's there because it's a huge city. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not a predictor of how this is going to play out as you get to medium-sized cities and especially uh, to rural areas in our country that are, you know, they haven't been hit yet. They haven't yeah. seen their peak. 
and that's coming. I don't think there's any question. So I think we have to keep all of that in mind. And then the second thing to say is that when you look at some of these cities, and here's something that I think is, you know, I heard you talking earlier today uh, about the disparity in terms of, you know, minority communities, low-income communities in specific. Uh, you know, you look at places like Chicago, the mayor there, Lori Lightfoot, saying 50% of the people who are impacted in her metropolis are black. Uh, and I think that's pretty shocking yeah. when you start to understand that, Low-income people, people who are minorities, are more often found in the service industries, hospitality, leisure, and the like. It's harder, too, if you're poor to distance, to practice social distancing. All of that is still in place. So the president says, oh, are the Democrats, the media, they want to politicize us. They want to be Trump. I think we need to take the politics out of this for the moment and be serious about fighting a pandemic uh, that, as Dr. Fauci says, will still be a threat even in the fall, even with a vaccine, because it's potentially going to explode on us again. Okay, well, let, let me get Jesse in here then, because I think what the economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, was saying is that we can get back. It, but that I don't think anyone's under the impression that it just means, like, all of a sudden everything is just the same. It's, there are going to be um, maybe tiers or phases uh, in order to do it safely. I don't think anyone's suggesting that it would be a rash decision. Anyone except Juan. <laughs> but let me just take issue with something Juan said, like only the political people are geared up to open this thing back up. I think the American people are ready to open it back up. And I think doctors have signaled that we're going to open this back up. I heard a doctor today say that he predicts May 1st, we start reopening back up this economy. And it's not because of politics at all. It's because mitigation was extremely successful in this country. We're going to peak out in the next few days, the model says, and then hopefully we have it on the downslope. We phase in certain sectors. We went over this yesterday. If you've watched the show, we've discussed it. We all know the deal, but you can almost feel it. You can feel it in the stock market. You can feel it when you talk to other people. But mostly you can feel it when you step outside. I said the other day, the light at the end of the tunnel. You walk outside right now, spring is almost sprung. Those little green buds are starting to burst up through the soil. The birds are chirping. It's getting warmer. You can feel it coming. So we just keep our fingers crossed, stay focused, and we're going to get through it soon. It's my, one of my favorite times of year is when all these blossoms, blossoms come out. Very hopeful indeed. I was hoping that it would have been the president of the United States speaking and not uh, that group there, but they did. Difficult today. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know why that's happening, but i got to stop the automatic starts. Yeah. I did not want to put that on, but... There are officials. There are officials who are urging Americans to avoid grocery shopping as COVID-19 pandemic worsens. Now, to me, that's that's that's. I don't know if that's such a hot idea. I mean, people need food. Okay. It's it's that it's that simple. But uh, 
Well, take a listen to, to, to what this one person had to say. And uh, let's see what, uh, why, there's, why they say that Americans should avoid grocery shopping. On that, and this whole distancing thing uh, with Dr. Nesrat, who joins us right now, uh, she's been advising folks to follow those guidelines and standards, and now they're stretching them out and putting fewer people in stores. And as you know, doctor, the rule of thumb is don't, don't come into the store with any more than one other person, preferably not a child, but you get the drill. They're, they're trying to crack down. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, we have to. These very minor, easy steps can help save lives, Neil. You got to keep six to ten feet away from other people. And what Dr. Burks was suggesting, she was suggesting that if you have to go grocery shopping, the whole family doesn't need to go out to the store. Let one person go, designate one person to go out, do the shopping, do enough shopping for two to three weeks so that you minimize outdoor exposure, minimize picking up the virus, minimize bringing it back to the entire family. So it's a matter of staying at home to help prevent the spread of this virus because it's a very highly infectious and contagious virus. And it's a very wicked virus that is causing a lot of lung damage and putting a lot of people in the hospitals. And I'm, I'm seeing that firsthand. So these little minor steps that we can take to help save lives. You know, doctor, um, you know, we talk about it, Apex hitting the highest number of cases. Presumably that means from that point they, they go down. But almost every example that I'm presented or experts bring to me, is, it's not the cases going down. It's the increase in the cases that goes down. And they all say, well, that's a good sign. I, no doubt it is. But is it a good sign enough to, to say, all right, end the distancing rules, end the stay-at-home stuff? I mean, what would you feel comfortable if you were advising just your patients to do? Yeah, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable to relax the guidelines with that. That's great. We're moving in the right direction that the, inc- the daily number of increasing is going down. But I would like to see several weeks, maybe even a month or two, of prolonged, sustained reduction in the number of cases, reduction in the number of hospitalizations, admission to the ICU, and uh, the, the reduction in the number of, of ventilation. That's, that, I see a lot of that. You know, one of my patients, I was stunned and shocked to hear that he ended up being uh, put on a ventilator and lost his life. I, I was not expecting that. So I would like to see prolonged, sustained reduction in, in all of those situations on top of, you know, making sure that hospitals can handle the load if there's any further uh, mini peaks or, or mini outbreaks. And um, that's why the, the mayor in L.A., he's, he, this week is very critical for them. They don't want to become, you know, like New York or Italy or China where we have to depend on ventilators and be fearful of the lack of ventilators. But um, I think two weeks is not long enough to uh, determine if we can relax the guidelines. I would be more happy with at least a month of prolonged sustained reduction in the number of cases to the point where it's back in the single digits. Don't want any double digits. I hear you. Doctor, always good having you. Thanks for all your advice and, and, and sound and calm thinking on this. Dr. Ness- all right. So there you have that. Three four seven nine four five five seven four seven. Three four seven nine four five five seven four seven. Hey Billy, you gonna join me or what, man? Said an hour ago you were gonna call in. 
What happened, buddy? I understand the necessity for caution, okay? Um, I went to the store in the hopes of uh, finding a particular item, and sure enough, I did. And that particular item surprised me. Surprised the living daylights out of me is what it did. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about in just a few moments on the video platforms. Um, no doubt in my mind, the hardest item to find, two of the hardest items to find in any store is paper towels and toilet paper. Well, I checked my supply of toilet paper (laughs) and sad to say, uh, it, it was starting to dwindle. And that's not good. Now, I jokingly talked about if, if, if I don't find toilet paper soon, I'm going to have to use the take a take a, a extra long shower because I may have to shower off like my shower was a bidet. <laughs> not exactly a very uh, thrilling idea, but. You know, you don't want to think about such things, but given the fact that people went hog wild uh, going to the store and buying and hoarding all, all this toilet paper and stuff, you can't eat toilet paper, folks. Let me just point that out. You can't eat toilet paper. So, if you're going to the store to uh, purchase toilet paper, let me just uh, point something out here. There are sto- this, many of the grocery store chains, and I found this out uh, from a few of them in my area. Their first priority is making sure that uh, the toilet paper gets to the hospitals. Okay. Well, how about the general public? Well, one store chain in particular, Stop and Shop, and I did a Facebook video from the store when I, when I was shopping, and <laughs> tell you something, folks. This is and this is no joke. I showed the aisle that before this coronavirus pandemic started would be filled to the brim with 
paper towels, toilet paper, Kleenex, even the Kleenex tissues, you know, the, you know, the stuff for your nose. Well, that's not exactly uh that's not exactly uh sitting there. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Finally got myself a cup of coffee while the clip was playing. And um you go into the store now and you're lucky if you find three or four boxes of Kleenex. The shelves are bare when it comes to toilet paper. Okay? Well, today, don't ask me why, but I went up to the store, grabbed my, I, I, had, I grabbed my bank card, and uh, the credit union, really cool. They've been they've been kind of helpful lately because I've been having some issues uh, with my with my debit card, and come to find out, it wasn't the card; it was the machines I was trying to use them on. Well, I'll tell you what. I went to the store today in the hopes of finding, of all things, toilet paper. So I get in there, and... uh, See if I can show you this because I was shocked to no end when I found the very item I needed. I'm going to try and get this to seat so I can show this. Um, uh, My background will be, I'm going to be in the background somewhere on this. But take a look at this, folks. This is what I, I was able to get when I went shopping for, when I went to see about getting toilet paper. That's right. I managed to get a couple of 12-packs. Because what I saw was this organic stuff, and uh uh-uh. So I, I go there, I do that, and, of course, you know, that's what I ended up finding. I got lucky today. So, trust me when I say it pays to ask questions because I I saw a store employee and I'm looking at, I'm in the aisle where the toilet paper normally is and I'm looking at this skinny flat cart with two handlebars on either end, with a handlebar, with the handles on either end. Okay. And it's got this uh, naturally organic toilet paper. 
I know somebody that tried that and not exactly the greatest. So I turned to her and I said, you wouldn't happen to have any Scott tissue in the house, would you? And the young lady goes, well, let me take, let me go in the back and see. So I walk out, I follow her out of the aisle. I wait by the stock room doors, wait patiently. And these two ladies are asking about toilet paper too. (laughs) The kind they wanted and all that. And, And they're like, they're actually trying to they're trying they're making deals it's like good god i couldn't believe my ears well here they started doing that just as those packs of toilet paper were handed to me and i put them in my cart i got out of dodge as quick as i could cuz i know people go people were going absolutely ape shit with, uh, in regards to the toilet paper. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to, to check out, and I realize I only had the two items. That was the primary reason I went to the store. Something told me, my gut feeling was, you're going to get some toilet paper. And by God, I did. I went to the self-checkout. Beep, beep. Rung out. Put them in the shopping cart. Hightailed it out the door. And uh, even though the buses aren't running for my neck of the, for my side of town, uh, I found out that there was a way. shut down at 12 midnight, but eh, I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, George, you got a big enough mouth, you can do this, you know, and I can too, hey, as long as I've got my coffee, I'm good. So, another item here uh, that I brought up and this is uh, back going back to the World Health Organization by the way um, Senator Lindsey Graham uh, oh wait a minute wait a minute before I do that, I just happened to catch this out of the corner of my eye. Apparently, Don Lemon is trying to school President Trump on leadership in, in a crisis. I'm not joking, folks. This is laughable. From the Confused News Network. Leadership? He works for a, Don Lemon works for a company that doesn't know what leadership is. 
They don't even know what news is. So Don Lemon trashed President Trump Tuesday night for referring to himself as a cheerleader for the country amid the coronavirus. Now, earlier at the White House press briefing, President Trump reiterated his optimism and hopes to reopen the economy, saying he thinks as he thinks a president has to be a cheerleader for the country. That's the exact quote. While taking strong measures to combat the virus, pointing to his travel ban from China in January. Well, that didn't sit well with the with with the so-called anchor at CNN tonight. Don Lemon, reacting during his opening monologue, said this, Tonight we are closing in on 400,000 U.S. cases, and in the face of that, the president says that he wants to be a cheerleader for the country. He's got one part of that right. It's leader. Leader, not cheerleader. Telling people what could happen and preparing for what for that to happen is what you're supposed to do. Uh, Don Lemon, let me reiterate what he said. He said he thinks he thinks a president has to be a cheerleader for the country. He didn't say he was that that he is the he is a cheerleader, or that he wants to be a cheerleader. He's saying that, you know, figuratively speaking, the a president of the United States has to be a cheerleader for the country. In other words, in order to rally the country to work together, don't you get it, Lemon? There's more. There is more. Now get this. Lemon goes on to say, yes, Americans do need their president to give them hope. That's what do you think President Trump has been doing? You think he's not offering some kind of hope? I mean, are you really that naive? Uh, Yeah, you are. But we also need the facts about what we are facing. Facts could be, well, no, they are the difference between life and death, which means the weeks and months this administration spent not taking this seriously is a bitter pill to swallow on a day that over 1,700 Americans died. No amount of cheerleading can ever bring those people back. You know, you are a complete and utter buffoon there, Don Lemon. You are. Honestly, you are a walking, talking, breathing epitome of what a buffoon is. Have you ever held a public office a day in your life? Have you ever done that at all? I don't think so. So before you criticize President Trump, which is what you're told to do by Jeff Zucker, your CEO of CNN, criticize, attack, all of the stories can sit on the back burner kind of thing, you and your network need to grow a brain stem. 
Okay? Seriously, you do. Now, Lemon's primetime colleague, Chris Cuomo, brother of New York Governor Mar- Andrew Cuomo and son of the late Governor Mario Cuomo of the Cuomo Mafia crime family, offered a similar complaint during his so-called show. Cuomo saying anybody could tell people what they want to hear and make it easy. And you know what you get, exactly where we are right now. That was the most asinine statement of leadership I have ever heard. I'm a cheerleader, so I'm going to lie to you about the realities that your parents, your loved ones, and your kids face. Uh, There's more, but I'm going to just interject this little comment. Chris Cuomo. Fredo. I'm going to make you an offer you cannot refuse, you stupid fuck. Shut up. You need to shut up. What you're saying there is not news. It's a personal attack on the President of the United States and an attack on the office of of President of the United States. When are you going to learn? But he went on with, there's more. I'm not going, excuse me, I'm not going to prepare the way I should because it reinforces the bullshit I'm telling you, and I'm going to hope that you're okay with it. This is what he claims to be what President, he's he's interpreting what President Trump, what he thinks he's saying. Uh, Chris Cuomo, Fernando, you need to sit down and shut the fuck up, okay? You and your mafia crime family brother, Andrew Sonny Cuomo, need to shut up. I mean, your brother bitched about, what was it, 400 or 4,000, I forget the number now off the top of my head, uh, ventilators and screaming that he needs 30,000 or 33,000 or something to that effect. You know what? Governor Cuomo, you need a brain cell that actually works. Just like your brother. President Trump has received unrelenting coverage from the liberal network with their alleged anchors and alleged journalists constantly criticizing him and his administration. Well, that's what CNN does. They're called the Confused News Network, the Conspiracy News Network, the Communist News Network. They're also referred to as the Complaining News Network, because that's all they do is complain about nothing. Honestly, they complain about nothing. Are you for real, CNN? But there's more. Now, earlier in, in that e- earlier in the evening, CNN's chief White House correspondent, more like chief White House airhead, 
Jim Acosta slammed the president after he criticized the World Health Organization for its apparent errors during the outbreak. Trump slams WHO for calling it wrong. But it was Trump who was calling it wrong for weeks on the coronavirus. The WHO called the outbreak a pandemic on March 11th. Trump cited the WHO in an address to the nation on the same day. Acosta tweeted, including a link to the transcript of Trump's Oval Office address. Now, of course, the complete and utter idiocy continues with Anderson Cooper, who accused the president Monday of hijacking his own White House press briefing and trashed his response to the pandemic. Cooper saying, if you tuned in, if you tuned into it hoping you were going to hear from the country's top scientists, you were likely disappointed. Yeah. And you wonder why your network's ratings are in the toilet. Seriously. You wonder why CNN's ratings are right down the crapper. Hope you got plenty of toilet paper for all the crap you've been shoveling. You and your colleagues at the Confused News Network. What you mostly heard was the president, and what you saw was a hijacking. Oh, like you and your fellow Confused News Network buffoons do every night, you hijacked the airwaves to do the bidding of the Democrats and the liberal left? Oh, really? A hijacking of the task force press conference by a president determined to rewrite the history of his early and reprehensible, irresponsible response to this virus. You know something? He instituted the travel ban. Okay? Everything he did in response to the coronavirus pandemic is far more than your buddy, your pal, your alleged president, Barack Hussein Obama, who sat on his ass for 14 freaking months, swine flu, H1N1, was going on. He didn't do shit until 14 months later. Why? Wasn't that reported by your network? Oh, I forgot. In your eyes, Obama could do no wrong. He was the... He was America's Messiah. I don't know what's worse. Honestly, I don't know what the fuck is worse. You guys being a bunch of blowhard dickheads or having to remind you that Obama was the worst alleged president in modern U.S. history. 
He used executive orders and actions to make policy. What he was really doing was writing laws from the executive office. Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, did you think I would forget that? Did you really think I would forget? Uh, Well, not to be outdone, even the network's star dirtbag, Jake Tapper, was under fire on Tuesday for retweeting vocal Trump critic George Conway, who said the president was 100% insane. Uh, Mr. Conway. Uh, let me let me ask you something, Mr. Conway. George, 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 George Conway. Are you a licensed psychiatrist? Not that I know of, anyway. And because you're not a licensed psychiatrist, you're making a psychiatric diagnosis. You know, you could be sued for that. And because you did it on CNN, so can they. Oh, yeah. You think I'm not mindful of that? I am. Because if I find out you all are being sued for medical malpractice, practicing psychiatry without a license, which, by the way, folks, reminder. Pundits for CNN and MSNBC all were saying that President Trump was unfit for the office of president, yada, yada, yada. Making psychiatric evaluations. Even licensed psychiatrists who are pundits for these networks, these so-called networks, were making psychiatric evaluations of a man they never saw professionally. Wow. So, it's mind-boggling, to say the least. It's truly mind-boggling. We have approximately 35 minutes, just a hair over 35 minutes remaining. 347-945-5743. I may just call it a a broadcast in five minutes because, one, my uh, sitting here doing all the talking is starting to irritate my throat. I still got two more days of this to do, but we'll have to see. We'll just have to see. 347-945-5743. So, a little something here. Apparently, according to Fox 5 NY, the Mayo Clinic wants recovered COVID-19 patients to donate plasma to help those still battling the disease. 
Yep. According to Fox 5 NY, the Mayo Clinic wants people who have recovered from COVID-19 to donate their plasma so it can be used as a possible treatment for those still battling the disease caused by the novel coronavirus. The Mayo Clinic has a message for more than 10,000 Americans who've recovered from COVID-19. Please consider donating plasma at your local blood donation center. Why? It may serve as a treatment for those who are still fighting the disease caused by the the novel coronavirus. People who recover from COVID-19 do so at least in part because their blood contains substances called antibodies, which are capable of fighting the virus that causes the illness, according to the Mayo Clinic, who wrote this in a post to its website. Now, it turns out that for some other diseases caused by viruses, giving people the liquid portion of blood plasma obtained from those who have recovered from the virus leads to more rapid improvement of the disease. The health organization acknowledges, however, that it is still unknown if this procedure is effective in treating COVID-19 patients. That's where hope comes in, folks. One can only hope that it does. Recovered persons hoping to donate plasma must contact the Red Cross or the American Association of Blood Banks to participate. Even if you're healthy and have not tested positive for the novel coronavirus, the Red Cross still encourages you to donate blood. Every year, cold and flu season leads to a shortage of blood donors. The coronavirus pandemic has only exasperated that problem. Now, sadly, before I ended up on blood thinners uh, six years ago, uh, I was able to donate blood. And I was very happy to do so. Why? Because in 2000, excuse me, in 1982, I had to go under the knife for emergency surgery. I nearly lost my life. Had it not been for the generosity and compassion of those who donated blood, I probably would have died as a result of not being able to get a blood transfusion. Having said that, however, I'm on blood thinners, so I can no longer donate blood. But those of you who are not on blood thinners can donate blood and blood plasma. So please do so. I encourage you to do so. especially those of you who have recovered from coronavirus. The possibility that this could help someone else is very real. And I don't think they would be asking you to donate it if they didn't feel it was a viable option. Needless to say...
It is what it is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've only got 30 minutes remaining in the broadcast. Uh, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call this a broadcast and end early. I will make the decision on whether or not to broadcast Wednesday and Thursday, and I will post that decision either way on Facebook.com slash FFNOIBN. That's Facebook.com slash FFNOIBN. That's also where you'll find the links for the broadcast when we are on the air. And if you're looking for the op-eds, there's my journalist page for that. Facebook.com slash Firefox News Online Journalist. That's Facebook.com slash Firefox News Online Journalist. It has been a long evening sitting here by my lonesome. I thought for sure my friend Billy would have called in, but uh, he didn't. Uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't getting my hopes up that he would. But I shared with you a lot of information. And if that's all I get to do, that's what I'm going to do. But I'll see what happens tomorrow because I've got a busy schedule on my hands for Wednesday. Tentatively right now, I'm saying, yeah, I'll probably be here. But I'd like you to be here, too. So how's that grab you? I'm George Sinzer, and for the comments I've made, that's the way it is from my perspective. Y'all be good, and if you can't be good, be careful. And if you can't be careful, please, for the love of God, don't name it after me. Uh, let's see here. There it is. Until next time, America. This has been Firefox News Online on the multiple broadcasting platforms used by the Firefox News Online Internet Broadcasting Network. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to Firefox News Online. Firefox News Online is a production of Firefox News Online Productions. Any rebroadcast, transcript, either in whole or in part without the express written permission of Firefox News Online Productions and its owner, is expressly forbidden. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. You can catch the links to Firefox News Online's broadcast by going to facebook.com slash FFNOIBN. That's facebook.com slash FFNOIBN. For the Firefox News Online Internet Broadcasting Networks. Hey, we'd like to hear from you, so send your comments to comments at firefoxnewsonline.com. That's comments at firefoxnewsonline.com. Also, any stories or topic ideas you might have, we'd like to hear from you. Send to we report at firefoxnewsonline.com. That's we report at firefoxnewsonline.com. Again, thank you for tuning in to Firefox News Online. I'm George Sinzer. Thank you so much for being here. We'll catch you next time.
That's all, folks. So let it be written. So let it be done. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.